Sal Berry, Ovechkin and Crosby merge to form Ovechki, and Tim Parrish. Records are made to be broken. Somebody famous said that, I think. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about Alexander Ovechkin moving to number two all time in goals scored. We're also going to talk about Ovechkin's career and we're going to talk about some of his best hockey cards, including a lot of his rookie cards. That's going to be what our show is going to be all about this time. So, Tim, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, sitting here, living the dream, counting all my dollar bills with all my Ovechkin cards that I have. I bet you were wishing that the Penguins won the coin toss or whatever in 2004, so they could have had the first overall pick instead of the second overall pick. Because, you know, as they say, nobody remembers who gets drafted second overall, right? Yeah, who was that guy again? Who was that guy that got picked second right after Ovechkin? Who was that guy? Some Russian dude. I think he was. Uh, I think he's out of the league now. Was it uh, Evgeny Malkin? Does that ring a bell? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but he wasn't one of the best 100 players of all time, if I remember correctly, according to the NHL. He was number 101. Number 101, right? I know this is off topic already, and we're only like one minute into the show. But could you imagine if the Penguins got the first overall pick in 04 and 05 if they had Ovechki? Uh, Ovechki. Uh, Ovechkin and Crosby merged to form Ovechki, the greatest hockey player ever known. As much as that looked cool on paper, I don't know that it would have worked in real life. Mm-mm. I don't think you can have two alphas. Even if you bumped one down to a different line like they do with splitting you know, Crosby and Malkin up. I mean, yeah, they're both centers, but you got a wingman and a center. They could play together on the same line. That would be awfully dangerous, but that's too much talent on one line. It's kind of like Dreisaitl and McDavid now. Right. It's so much talent on one line. Where's all the rest of the scoring come from? And as we see in the case of the Oilers, not from very many places. You know, right. It's that top line and that's it. So it's interesting to think about, but I don't know that it would work. As of this recording, Ovechkin has 802 goals. He just recently surpassed Gordy Howe a little over two weeks back. He scored 798, 799, and 800. That was against the Blackhawks. I was watching that game. And it was pretty cool that he got the hat trick and that he got to 800 goals. And I remember Martin Brodeur, when he became the all-time leading goaltender for wins, that was also against the Chicago Blackhawks, which just shows how bad the team has been over the past six, seven, eight years that... It seems like everybody is setting their records against the Blackhawks. So I was kind of secretly hoping that OV would move to second all-time in goals scored against the Blackhawks, but he didn't. He got to 800, and they came out on the ice, and they mobbed him. And Because 800 is a big deal, and even the Blackhawk fans were applauding because that's a big freaking deal when something like that happens. I mean, 800 goals has only happened three times in the history of the NHL, and all by, like, legendary players, obviously, because to score 400 goals is a big deal. So to score twice that and still have a lot of years left in your career, that's crazy. Then Ovechkin didn't score a goal for like a week. And I got to tell you, I watched the Capitals every game they played. 
I was getting bored of the Capitals. I was just like, oh, just break this record already. I want to watch. I want to watch the Bruins. I want to watch the Hurricanes because those teams are tearing up the league right now. And you know, and then he scored his 801st goal, tied Gordy Howe. And in that same game later on, he scored his 802nd goal as an empty netter. That was second all time. What else can I say other than wow? Yeah, I mean, it's a feat that I think us being. I don't want to call us old hockey fans, but we're at least in that mid-range being born in the 70s and cutting our teeth watching hockey in the 80s and 90s. That's one of those records where you looked at and you're just like, nope. Because think about it. The guy that broke Gordie Howe's record was Gretzky. Mm -hmm. Gretzky played until 99. And by that time, he was so far past the scoring mark. There's no one close to him. And so you think there's nobody currently playing that could continue to play that would come anywhere close to that. So that's a record that's probably never going to fall. And here we are, 2022, 23, and we got somebody that's nipping at his heels, sort of, kind of, yeah. at least so from a goal standpoint. So as of this recording, Ovechkin has 802 goals. Gretzky retired with 894 goals. Now this is in the regular season. So Ovechkin is 92 goals back from Gretzky's record of 894. Looking at the playoffs, Ovechkin has 72 goals, and he's 50 goals back from Gretzky's 122 playoff goals. So Gretzky has a total of 1,016 NHL goals between regular season and playoffs. Ovi has 874 total goals between regular season and playoffs. So both of these marks are attainable. Now, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because Ovechkin is 37. Well, and he's got to, A, stay healthy. Yep. B, have the desire to play, which I think as of right now he does because it's fun. And C, he's got to want this to be the reason why he sticks around. Because, I mean, how many players do we see all the time that you're like, they hang it up and it's like, I could have seen them play another two years, three years, possibly, Mm because they were still fairly decent and didn't look like they really lost much. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm saying Ovechkin has lost anything. And, you know, there's been so many rumors about him ending his career professionally going back to the KHL. Not back to, but going to the KHL. And there's like a strong theory, I guess, amongst people that are way smarter than I am that they kind of think that that's a possibility. I don't know that it is. I mean, honestly, I, I would think that the Capitals would be willing to pay him on a annual basis, just a straight-up annual contract to finish out his career there if it comes down to something like that. But, you know, you never know. You never know. Yeah, I mean, if I own the Capitals, I would want Ovechkin to finish his NHL career with the Capitals. I'd want to see him get that all-time goal record as a member of the Capitals. And I would do whatever I could to keep him on there, whether it was a one-year-at-a-time contract so Ovechkin doesn't feel like he has to commit to five years or whatever. Although, that being said, I mean, Ovechkin is one of these guys that could play till 45, which is surprising because of the way he plays. He's a physical player. You look at some of the guys that played to like 40, 42 Ray Bork, Steve Eiserman, those kinds of guys. I mean, Mario Lemieux 
and Lemieux had his own share of health problems. If Eric Lindros stayed healthy, he could have probably played longer and had more productive years, you know. And then you look at somebody like Chris Chelios, who played till he was 46, and he played defense, and he was a physical player. I mean, Ovechkin's a physical player. He's not easily broken. I know he's been injured in the past, but he's durable. You know, when I think of, like, great NHL players who lost a lot of games due to injury, I think, you know, Gretzky was injured here and there. Lemieux, of course, had a lot of injuries and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And Lindros had the concussions. And then Crosby had the concussions. And you think about those guys and you go, wow, if they didn't have those issues, they would have played longer and had more productive careers a little Crosby is obviously still playing and I still I think he's going to play for a long time as well but I mean Ovechkin I, I could see him play till 44 45 like Joe Thornton or Zidane yeah. Chara or Chris Chelios you're right on the durability thing I mean in 17 years of being in the NHL he's missed 44 games wow that's up until the start of this season I don't know that he's missed a game this year but 44 games total only 24 of those were because of injury you know, there was a suspension or two in there and I'm sure personal reason leave and that kind of stuff. But 24 because of injuries. He had like a neck thing one time, he had a back thing one time, he had a shoulder thing one time, but it's never been more than a few games. He's never had that long extended period of time where he had to have surgery or reconstruct something in his body and miss all of his extra time. And again, surprisingly, because he is that physical player, He's never really had the concussion issues that some other guys have. So he hasn't missed a lot of time because of that either. Because he's dishing them out instead of taking them. Well, and that's the thing. And, and, you know, there's many, many stats that you can go over that that he leads in. And one of those is hits. We we were talking beforehand. The guy's got 3,376 hits. He ranks fourth all time since they started ranking, you know, keeping that category, which was like in 07. Most of the guys on this list are modern players, but you look down that list, and if you look at the top 10, for someone that's so prolific in scoring and points and known for his offensive abilities and just his magic on the ice, it's kind of ridiculous to see that he's in the top 10 amongst players like Cal Clutterbuck and Milan Lucic and Luke Shen and Ryan Reeves and Chris Neal and Dion Phaneuf. I mean, these are the guys that are on that list, guys that would go out there and just punish people on a nightly basis. And that's their job is to go out and punish people, not to score, maybe chip in once in a while and stuff. But these are guys that put beatdowns on people. He's in that group. So for him to have flown under the radar of injury is kind of miraculous. Yeah, I don't know if it's fly under the radar or if it's just to be in an altitude above where the radar can even find him. You know what I mean? That's not being on the DL. Under the radar, I think, would be kind of like playing kind of meekly or like letting two other players scrum for the puck and then just kind of being that guy that that's open so that when the puck squirts out, you could pick it up. Instead, Ovechkin is going to separate the man from the puck, as they say. You know, the idea of the check is to separate the man from the puck. and that's what he does. And then he takes the puck and then he scores. What's the old saying? Russian machine never breaks. Russian machine never breaks, just like the blog. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one thing I want to bring up, because this seems like a good time to talk about it, when they were talking about how Ovechkin gets the advantages of playing with 
better equipment than Gretzky did, right? Like, you see how much bend those composite sticks get when they shoot, and it's almost like a slingshot, you know, and you didn't even... You didn't even have that, you know, with the wooden sticks. The wooden sticks had a little bit of bend to them, but they broke. They don't bend like they do now. I mean, it's just ridiculous, especially when you watch it in slow motion and you're like, oh, my God. Here's the thing. It's fun to compare, and it's also a little bit unfair. And I think that, like, you could say, yeah, Gretzky didn't have a composite stick, right? Gretzky didn't have the better rules that we've had since the post-lockouts. When they cut down on the clutching, the grabbing, the hooking, and stuff like that, they called more penalties. But you know what Gretzky had in his day? Hardy McSorley. And you know what else? Um, all the other guys that would beat people up if they touched him. Terrible goaltending. Oh, yeah, there's that too. There was terrible goaltending in the I wouldn't league. say terrible, all but right. it was mostly awful. Here's my theory, and I know some stat head out there is probably going to tell me why I'm wrong. He didn't have to face Patrick Waugh every single night. So, yeah, there was some pretty bad goaltending. Right. So the NHL grew too quickly. It grew too fast. It grew too rapidly. If you think about 1967, it went from six teams to 12 teams, which maybe was a little fast, but there was probably realistically there was enough talent to expand to 12 teams. It's just that that talent didn't get distributed fairly in the expansion draft of 67. And I'm not going to go into that whole diatribe, right? But you had these expansion drafts in the 70s, and they never really favored the new teams because they wouldn't even get the C-list players. A lot of times they'd be offered aging veterans and minor leaguers. It's not like when people Take one said, look at the initial roster of the Penguins. There you go. That's a prime example. Yeah. So by the time it was uh, 79-80, the league had gone to 21 teams. So you think about it, 66-67, the league was six teams. 13 years later, the league was more than three times its size. Six teams, 12 teams, 18 teams, 19, 20, 21. So whatever the math is on that, they added, what, 15 teams in the span of 13 years. The talent didn't catch up. The NHL caliber of talent did not grow as fast as the NHL grew. So you had a lot of bad players and you had a lot of bad goaltending. And you know what? You can hide a bad player on the fourth line, a bad skater, or fifth and sixth D pairing or whatever. You can't hide bad goaltending. I don't think there were really 21 quality goaltenders by 1979. Like quality, like now we have. Now you even look today and you look at the NHL and you look and you go, you know, there's some guys that probably shouldn't be starters but are, but then there are some guys that are backups that shouldn't be backups. And the league is 32 teams. And I feel that like by the early 2000s, maybe, well, definitely now it's caught up. There's enough talent to fill that many teams. But I, I feel that like, the talent was so diluted that if you were a guy that was like a 50 goal scorer, well, guess what? 1981, you were a 70 goal scorer or an 80 goal scorer, or in Gretzky's case, a 92 goal scorer. Now, I'm not saying that Gretzky would have been a mere 50 goal scorer. I mean, he is not even a generational talent. I mean, he's a once in a lifetime kind of talent, but he's a once in a lifetime kind of talent that played when the league was so watered down that I feel like that inflated his stats a bit. I'm not 
saying anything disrespectful about Gretzky or saying that he didn't have all the talent that he did because he did. I'm just saying that instead of a 92-goal score, maybe he would have been a 70-goal score, which is awesome and amazing, but it would have been a little little more challenging, right? So this is a more challenging era to play in. Yeah, and if you look statistically, just straight up at the amount of goals, I mean, you brought up like 78, 79 as being that tipping point because of all of the extra teams that they drug in. Goal scoring jumped up to an average of like three and a half goals per game. Per team. Per team. Three and a half. It hadn't been like that since the 40s. So, so you're saying by 79-80, it, it jumped up that much? By, by the 78-79 season, right before that. Okay. And so that whole 80s time frame from that point forward, probably up until about 92 or so, mm-hmm. teams were averaging like 3.4, 3.5, 3.6 goals per game. After that, it started to drop pretty sharply. You can kind of lump that all in together. So you look at Gretzky's career, most of the great times came from that era. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that all the goaltenders were bad. I mean, there were good goaltenders back in the 80s, Billy Smith, Grant Fuhrer, but he didn't play against Grant Fuhrer, really. <laughs> that was his teammate. So, you know, Mike Vernon is a renowned goaltender of that period, Patrick Waugh, obviously, but you're right. Go down the list of all the teams in the league and look at who their starting goaltender is. And then go down the list of all of the backups. And it's not going to be a who's who of Hockey Hall of Famers by by any means. So I do agree with you that goaltending was definitely sub sub what it is now and sub what it is was later on in maybe the early late 90s, early 2000s time frame. So you said till about 92. So what happened in 92? You had a couple things that happened in the 90s then. Then you had the influx of European players, and that raised the talent level dramatically because then you had Sergei Fedorov, and you had Yarmir Yager, and you had Timu Solani, and you had Vladimir Konstantinov, and you had Nicholas Lidstrom, and you had Sandus Ozelinch, and you had, I'm probably forgetting somebody really obvious, oh, Pavel Bure, and Igor Larionov, right? Artur Zerbe. I mean, you had all these great players from all over the world, although I keep mentioning a lot of Russian players, but still, you had all this talent come in from Europe and Russia, and so that raised the abilities of the teams, you know, and then scoring's going to get a little bit harder because you're going to have better players on the other team who can stop you. And then you had, like, the New Jersey Devils who pretty much figured out the neutral zone trap and left-wing lock, and then that brought scoring down. Instead of, hey, let's win 10-9, to it was like, hey, let's win one to nothing. We don't have good enough players to score 10 goals, but we can definitely score one or two goals and then shut down the other team, you know, and so then that kind of became the mentality. But also there was the talent. The NHL would have evolved a lot slower if it didn't have the influx of European and Russian talent in the 90s. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. As players improve, goaltending improved too. But you're right. You had that devil's trap game that other teams tried to kind of mirror or at least take some from and you had teams that played a lot of defensive type style a lot a lot of stay at home style type defense where it was less about dumping and chasing the puck and more about defending your end and clearing rather than what we see today look do i think gresky could play today Yes. 
even 90s Gretzky could play today in this league because of the fact that there's less of the clutching and grabbing and all of that kind of stuff. And there's more open ice and free flow to the game. Now, reverse that. Do I think Ovechkin could have played back then? Oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Because he would have had, like, way above top-tier speed compared to some of the guys that are out there. And, yeah, okay, let's adjust that for time, right? You know, guys didn't have the kind of training that they have now, so maybe they wouldn't be as fast. But the natural ability that he has and his knack for being able to essentially pick his spot in the net as far as accuracy goes with his shot, I mean, it's uncanny. And I think that that can overcome most defenses. And the fact that his physicality then, you add to that. Here's a guy that can put up 50, you know, 50 goals every year and probably get at least 100 penalty minutes for fighting and everything else in the 80s and early 90s era. And that would be Ovechkin as well. I think his ability and everything would translate into both eras. I think both guys could kind of cross over and have their qualities that would help them excel in those different eras. Right. And we could probably say the same thing about Gordie Howe. And then we could even bring these guys into Gordie Howe's era. Maybe not Gretzky so much because it seemed like players back in the 40s and 50s, they had to be able to fight. They had to be able to take care of themselves. I think the game changer with that was John Beliveau, where the Canadians brought in John Ferguson. And he played on the line with Jean Beliveau, so Beliveau wouldn't have to fight, which is fine, because hockey was a brutal game back then. I get that players had to take care of themselves, and there's definitely some honor and some pride in that, whether it's justified or a little foolhardy, like, oh, Bobby Hull and Gordie Howe, they had to fight their own fights. It's like, well, is it fighting or is it hockey? Well, fighting's part of hockey. Right, but I mean... You know, Gretzky only got into three career fights, and he did okay. I don't remember Mario Lemieux getting into that many fights, although he was a big dude and he could take care of himself. So I think people would have been stupid to fight a guy who was six foot four just for the reach alone. You know, Gretzky didn't fight because the rare time that he would get hit that would cause a ruckus, somebody else would fight for him. Lemieux didn't get in a lot of fights because. He would put a hurting on whoever would hit him most of the time. And then somebody else would jump in and fight. So he, he didn't have a lot of those either. I mean, and even look now, I don't think Ovechkin really fights that much. But he does put a punishment on guys. You know, he makes them pay for hitting him. And he goes into the corners and along the boards and he smashes people. More skilled players don't do that. I mean, look at Crosby. Crosby's gotten more physical in his later years than he was in the earlier days when people labeled him as a big giant crybaby because, you know, it was like he was going to the ref every five seconds anytime somebody would touch him. But Crosby's strong. He's very strong. And he's very hard to take off the puck. So if you look in the grand scheme of things, he doesn't get hit blindsided a lot and he doesn't get knocked off the puck very easily. So he doesn't really fight. But occasionally he does. He'll jump in a scrap once in a while. McDavid, I don't know that I've ever seen McDavid fight, maybe once. But again, McDavid is so fast and so skillful. 
You can't catch them. Yeah, you can't hit what you can't catch, and why would you have to fight? You know, chances are somebody else is going to jump in instead. And that's the thing. We, we're out of that era of the goon, you know, and the designated guy that's going to be the protector guy. But do some teams still have those types of players? Yeah. Are they called goons anymore? Not really. What do we label them? I don't know that there's a word. You know, shit starters, sure. They're the the agitator guys. But they're also guys that when you see them on the ice, you have to pay attention because, you know, that's that's what they're there for. They're there to to make you pay attention. And so those aren't the guys that are out there scoring goals, though. But yet here you have a dual threat where a guy that can go out there and lay on a nice body check onto somebody, but it can also score 40 goals 11 times. You don't see players built like that anymore. I think what's kind of funny is maybe within the past two years, you heard a lot of people rumbling about, oh, can Ovechkin pass Gretzky? One of the guys that writes for Puck Junk, Blake Isaacs, he wrote an article about that maybe 2018 or so, basically saying, yes, this could happen. And now, I mean, now it seems like a foregone conclusion, but I even remember back in like 2020 when people are like, oh, I think this can happen. It's like, you guys are so late to the party. We knew this before everybody else. Maybe that's not 100% true, but I'd say more than most of the masses out there who are like, oh, this is going to happen. Like, I knew this was going to happen. Well, you don't know anything's going to happen until it happens, right? I mean, we can predict that the sun will rise tomorrow, but unless it does, we're not 100% sure until it does. But yeah, so I mean, it's just a matter of time. He's at 22 goals this season right now. Season's about halfway through. He could be on pace to finish with 40, 50 goals. You know, even if he gets to 40 goals, then he still has to get another uh, 72 goals to tie Gretzky. Can he do three 30-goal seasons or four 20-goal seasons? There's no reason to think that he couldn't. He's got 11 40-goal seasons. He mm-hmm. ranks number two in 40-goal seasons of all time. Only Gretzky's ahead of him, and he's already passed both Mario Lemieux and Marcel Dion, who both had 10. So he's got 11. One more of those, he's got Gretzky tied for 40-goal seasons. So 17 years, 11 of those seasons, he's got 40 goals. There's no reason to think he can't, because if you look at the pace that he's scored these goals in, the back half, like the more recent years, mm-hmm. he scored at a faster clip than he did the, the first half. So do I want to see it happen? Uh, it might be kind of cool to see it happen. Do I have that uh, I'm jaded because he's on a rival team kind of feeling? Actually, not really. Look, records are made to be broken. I don't know. Somebody famous said that, I think. And you have all of these records in place and then somebody is eventually somewhere along the line comes and challenges that look we already saw the iron man record drop this past season not once but twice nobody ever thought that would be challenged like ever because who does that who plays in that many games in a row and starts every game and you know doesn't get hurt nobody especially in today's day and age guys go out there on the ice and get hurt all the time and, right. you know, guys go down with these injuries and they have maintenance days and they miss this and miss that and stuff. Not to take anything away from players that do miss time, but these are records that you don't ever expect. So that was one, you know, the goal scoring record, the point scoring, you know, all of these different records. 
you know, do we ever see somebody challenge the point scoring record? I don't know. Maybe not in our lifetime, but the goal one is going to drop. And I could see it happening in the next, probably in the next two seasons. Do you think Ovechkin could get to a thousand goals, regular season goals in his career? Figure he's 37 now. Let's say he plays till he's 42, 43, maybe 44. If he plays five more years, he'd retire at 42. Yeah, it's tough. So that's 200 goals. He's basically 200 goals away yeah. from 1,000 regular season goals. You know, 200 goals is a lot. Yeah. I could comfortably see a buck 20, 140. 200's a lot, though. That is a lot. You got to then look at age. And yeah, he's been durable, but you got to look at age and just look at the natural, natural selection of human life mm-hmm. and the way that thing goes. You know, they say once you turn 30, things start to decline. Well, mm-hmm. now you turn 40, now you turn 41, 42, 43, and it just starts getting, you know, next thing, next thing, next thing. And again, like I said earlier, I think it boils down to desire. Right now he has it because he's having fun. Rewind this and take that cup away from the Capitals. And let's say he's still playing and they haven't won a cup. Does he have the same enthusiasm over the individual record? Honestly, I don't think so. No, maybe yeah, not. Yeah, he's so a competitive much. player and he's all in it and you know loves the game and loves to play hockey. But maybe that's not it because who wants to go their whole career and be known as the best player that never won a cup? Nobody wants that. That doesn't take anything away from your abilities and your greatness. I mean, plenty of players are in the Hall of Fame that didn't win a Stanley Cup. But I don't think any player would choose individual records over winning a cup. Right. By any means. So I just think as long as the desire's there, he'll play as long as he wants. And if it's not for the Capitals, it would easily be for somebody else, if not to put butts in seats, just to have him on the roster and go out there and score. And contribute. So I don't know about 200. I would say max 150, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe That's he's okay. just going to go out there and start scoring 70, 80 goals in a clip. And then we'll be like, whoa. Look, you'd be hard to argue that he's not the greatest goal scorer right now and possibly ever. You'd be hard pressed. And I've heard so many interviews with current players and ex players and analysts. And all of these people that live and breathe hockey all the time and have forgotten more about the sport than I'll ever know say those very words that he is the greatest goal scorer that they've ever seen and possibly ever. So when your most competitive rival and the person you're compared against all the time being Sidney Crosby, because you were matched up as a rookie onward playing in the same division with a rival team and everything else Crosby throws respect towards Ovechkin's direction all the time. Both of those guys respect each other and what they do. But he's that kind of perfect package when it comes to his offensive skills being having the speed, having the accuracy, the velocity to his shot, all of that. You know, the fact that he can just live in that faceoff circle and destroy people night in and night out is unreal. And anytime I watch the Capitals on TV, you can ask my wife. She knows the Capitals are playing if I scream, if she hears me screaming at the TV going, why doesn't somebody go over there? And granted, it's always on the power play, and he's always standing there waiting for the shot. Break out of your diamond and go over there. 
put somebody on him. Let somebody else score. Don't let him get that shot. Nobody wants to dive in front of that shot, but at least put somebody over there. They leave him open all the time. And I know that that power play defense that like every team in the league, they have their box and they turn it to a diamond and they turn it to a box and then a diamond. And it's just that back and forth because you only have the four guys out there. I don't care. Have somebody peel off. Go cover him. But they don't. So he just blasts the puck and there it is. So you're not going to find many players that are like, oh, Ovechkin sucks. I hate him. Because he's not that kind of guy. I mean, even if you don't like him, it's hard not to like him. So you have to actually try to not like him. Because his personality is good also. You know, he's a great interview. He's funny. You know, he's he's very personable. He's got a lot of these characteristics. And granted, early on in his career, he probably wasn't the same for the simple fact that, you know, there was that English barrier and stuff, which I don't think his was as bad as Malkin's was because Malkin would like almost refused to do interviews in the early days because he didn't want to do it. He, he couldn't, he couldn't talk. He didn't know enough words, couldn't form the sentences, anything like that. Ovechkin was a little further on than that, but the trajectory that his career took him in made him that front and center. I think he had to break out of that shell and become kind of like not the court jester type player, but, but he does have a little more personality than, I don't know, name a great player that doesn't have a personality. Jonathan Taze. There's one right there. They don't call him captain serious for nothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to interview somebody on the Blackhawks, you want to talk to Patrick Kane, not Jonathan Taze. Taze will give you the serious, serious, truthful answer. I don't know. Was Gretzky a great interesting interview although i don't know if anybody in the 80s really was because everybody was so browbeaten and you know for the team and this and that and and yeah back back then i don't know there were that many like early on in the 80s when you got the players coming out of the 70s era into the Mm -hmm. 80s most of those guys were, were decent interviews because most of them just said whatever they wanted to say right then you had that 80s culture into the 90s where it was almost like these guys were groomed to be a certain way when it came to public image right and you kind of lost some of that personality well now we're in a league where they're trying to push us to that next level and market the sport better more like some of the other leagues do and you have to have that and that's one good thing is you know here's your best arguably your best player he's not that I'm just saying pucks in deep and we got, we got to, you know, play to our strengths and, you know, all these stupid sports cliches that are always said over and over again. He's not that kind of guy. And I think that's a benefit and that gets more people watching and more people paying attention. And look, all this aside, yeah, he's behind only Gretzky, right? In goals. But you look at some of his other stuff. He's number one in power play goals of all time. He's number one in overtime goals. He's number one in total shots on goal, which I find interesting because you think, well, the best goal scorer, he must shoot a lot. Well, guess what? You're right. He has, up until right now, he has 6,218 shots on goal. Now, some people would say, who cares? Well, the next active closest player to him on this list is Eric Stahl. Eric Stahl has 
3,984. So Ovechkin, wow. 6,218. Eric Stahl, 3,984. And he's hardly in any conversation that people have as being a prolific scorer in the league. Not to take anything away from Eric Stahl in his career. Great player. But if you list off your top 10 goal scorers, I doubt he's in that list, unless you're a big Eric Stahl fan. So here, better idea. Let's think of players that are known for scoring. Patrice Bergeron, 3,835 shots on goal. Patrick Kane, 3,808 shots on goal. Crosby is ranked 46th, 3,636. These are half of how many shots on goal he has. Almost all these guys you mentioned, they kind of started either a little bit before or a little bit after Ovechkin did, or in the case of Crosby, the same year. And they have half as many shots. That's crazy. Well, like I said, Eric Stahl's the next one on that list, and Eric Stahl was, had oh, a couple more. Yeah, cut, cut, had a couple more years down. Well, at least one year down. One year. Because they lost the year with the... They lost to 405 because of the lockout, right? The lockout. So he's number one in shots, but I think that stat's always interesting. He's number two in game-winning goals. The only guy ahead of him still hasn't retired yet. But he doesn't play in the NHL. You can guess who that is. He's number two in goals per 60 minutes. So for those that like advanced statistics, goals per 60, he's at 1.76. Only Austin Matthews is ahead of him in that. Much smaller body of work. Mm-hmm. So that can skew the numbers a little bit. Mm-hmm. Still, the fact that he's got 17 seasons in and goals per 60, he's 1.7. That's craziness. Well, you know, we already talked about goals per season with his 40 goals. We talked about the hits. You know, equal strength goals. Everybody always brings up you know, well, you know, you got to look at equal strength advantage goals and all that. He's number five. He's got 505 equal strength goals. And he could very well take over that position at some point if he keeps scoring like he is. And especially if he heads towards breaking Gretzky's record. Now we can sit here and argue over his number two spot on empty net goals because people like to bring that up all the time to be detractors on this because his actual empty net goals take up about 6.4% of all of his goals is 51. So that comes out to like 6.4% of his goal scoring is empty net goals. So yeah, everybody that's negligible. Every, exactly. That's my point. So people are like, oh, but what about all the empty net goals? Yeah, but let me say this real quick. If you get an empty net goal, it's because you're considered one of the team's best players. Because who do they put out there when the other guys pull their goalie and you're protecting a one or two goal lead? your top line, your best players, your power play guys. It's usually whoever your skill players are that would tend to score. Now, coincidentally, Ovechkin's 802nd goal was an empty net goal, and it was at the opponent's blue line, and he wasn't trying to score. He flipped it to a teammate who passed it back to him, and then he flipped it in to ice the game. But, I mean, you know, not every empty net goal is when you're close to the net not that he was close he was at the blue line there you know some of them i'm sure came from being sent all the way down the ice like a clearing attempt again you put your best players out there when you're protecting a lead yeah and that's my problem with this whole thing because you hear people all the time argue about well take away their empty net goals and they'd only have x number yeah i don't care i mean look at almost every 
single goalie goal that everybody goes gaga over. They're all empty net goals. Except one, but yes. Except one, but they're all empty net goals. Yeah, granted, they're shot from the other end of the ice, but they're still empty net goals. So you're going to take all those away too? We're not going to count those? No, we're not. So move on from the empty net goal. If that statistic was like 25%, even 10% of his goals, I would say, okay, maybe we need to have that conversation. It's 6.4. Even Gretzky's higher. On empty right. Net. But he has more goals. Right. His percentage is like 6.8. So it's still under 7%. So even if you took all of those away, let's take everybody's empty net goals away on the entire list. The rankings would still be about the same. Yes. So it's really a, a non-issue, I think, for most cases. But back to the other stuff. He's like number eight in hat tricks. Guys had three hat tricks in like six games. It was like ridiculous at the end here. He passed Marcel Dion. He's got 27 hat tricks in his career. He's 18th in all-time scoring. So it's got a little distance to go there. Obviously, we don't think anybody's going to catch Gretzky ever in an all-time ranking. But he's one point behind Crosby, and they always flip back and forth. They're at that point where they've both got as many points as each other. And depending on the day or the week, it seems like they swap places back and forth. And they probably will. And they'll keep doing that unless one of them has a major injury and loses a lot of time. Because when it comes to points per game, they're some of the best all-time points per game guys. Ovechkin's in the top 30. He's a 1.1 on points per game, a little over 1.1. That's tied with Yager. And I think Kucherov, Panarin, Dreisaitl, Malkin, Crosby, and McDavid are the only active players that are ahead of him. So you go down that list. Those are the best scorers in the game today. All of those guys that are named right there. So anybody that's going to average over a point a game, there's something to be said for that. But some of the more obscure things that I found that I thought were interesting on here. He ranks 69th in all-time assists. 69th. So that just shows you he doesn't like to share. You know, players ahead of him, the active guys are like Andre Kopitar and Malkin, Crosby, and Kane. Again, some of the best scorers that are currently in the game today. Plus minus, not so good. He's 316th all time, but who cares about plus minus, right? There's more that goes into it. And he's 618th in penalty minutes. I found that interesting. So, Only? Yes, 618th. Yeah. So 24 minutes and he'll catch Brent Burns. Do you think... That when Ovechkin retires, they'll waive the three-year wait period for him? Yeah, I think he's an easily first ballot guy out of the box. He's going to go in when he's eligible. I'm just wondering if they'd waive the eligibility of the three-year wait period. Like he retires in the next year's class, he gets the phone call? Yeah. Yeah, I could see him being one of those. I could see Crosby being one of those. Because they said that Gretzky would be the last one. Why wait? Here's what you'd have to look at. If he retired next year, right? Or he retired, let's say he retires the end of the season and they want to waive that. You have to look at the list of who's available and who's eligible and who you were planning on putting in there anyway. And if it's one of those issues where you got three guys, but you're not sure on, so you have to flip a coin. Why not just take Ovechkin and be done with it? It would make sense to me. Wait or not, he's in. I mean, there's no doubt about oh, that. Oh, we've known that for a decade. 
that's interesting because he is that type of player. He's that generational icon player that you could say, you know, you could wave that for. Like I said, it, it hasn't happened that often. What, maybe a dozen times total? Less? Yeah, less. I, I think we figured out it was six. It was like six times. Yeah. Gretzky, Mario, Bobby Orr. Uh, and then there were like three other ones that I can't remember off the top of my head, but we did talk about this in the past. Yeah, it's not many, and that's the thing. These are guys that are Mount Rushmore players. These are the hockey Mount Rushmore type guys, and I think Ovechkin could be one of those from a modern era. So should we talk about some of his cards? Absolutely. So one thing I'm just going to throw out there really quick, not that this is going to be a valuable card, but I just thought that was interesting. Upper Deck puts out their game-dated moments cards every week and last week friday so this would have been december 23rd they had three cards available one was of kirill kaprizov one was of patrick kane and jonathan taves playing in a thousand games together and the other one was of alex ovechkin reaching 800 goals and you know i actually set my timer on my phone or a reminder to remind me to buy the cards when they went on sale and they were limited to 599 copies, the Ovechkin card. Actually, all three of them were. And the Ovechkin card sold out in six minutes, which I know things have sold out quicker than that. I mean, that's like 100 cards a minute. That's pretty good. I don't normally buy game-dated moments, but I wanted the Kane and Taves card. So I made sure to buy that. And I said, you know what? I collect Ovechkin cards. Yeah, all right, I'll grab a couple of them. So I bought two. Two is the limit. And then it like said, processing your order, or it didn't even say that. It just says, you are in the queue. Do not refresh your page. You are in the queue. And you see the little spinning wheel. And it's like, do not refresh your page. Do not close your browser window or you'll lose yeah. your place in line. So I'm like, right. okay, well, I hope that 300 other people didn't beat me to the punch because it's only the local time was 11.01 a.m. when I finished my order. And yeah, so I got the cards, but then I kept refreshing the page just to see how fast the Ovechkin card would sell out. And by 11.06, it was sold out. So whatever. And I know that those cards don't always have great resale value or whatever, but it was something I'd want anyways, because I passively collect Ovechkin. If I get a card of his, I put it in a binder. I have a binder that's Crosby and Ovechkin cards. And I don't like make a list. But if I come across like an insert, I put it in the book. Anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. They did three last year for him. The first one they did is when he passed Marcel Dion for fifth place mm -hmm. back in, in October of 21. And then there were two others throughout the season as well mm -hmm. um, as he kind of moved up and crossed the other milestones as well. So if you're into collecting things that reflect milestones, especially milestones for a career of a player, like this, and, and you're an Ovechkin collector, these are definitely great cards to have because they're momentous and they actually show and reflect a certain moment in time and, and take that snapshot of what event took place at that time. It's kind of the closest thing to having a, an actual game-worn piece of jersey that you could tell what game it came from. These are images and, and information and all that about a specific moment in time if you're not familiar with the Game Dated Moments card. So... And they're print on demand. You were saying they were five ninety nine. Veterans are five ninety nine all the time, and rookies are like eleven ninety nine now. 
used to be less, but they're so popular now they up the print runs. Those are great cards to have for any type of collection like that. Alex Ovechkin came in during the 2005-2006 season. He could have played the previous year if there wasn't a lockout, but there was a lockout, so 05-06 was his rookie year. He won Rookie of the Year. He had a ton of cards come out that year because Upper Deck just made a ton of sets. They were really pushing Sidney Crosby. I remember, like, on, like, some boxes of the cards, they'd be like, you know, hunt for Sidney Crosby rookie cards. Or I remember they had, like, a little one. I forgot what it was. Maybe it was Beehive. I can't remember. But one of the sets, it had, like, a cartoon illustration of Crosby. Not a caricature, but just, like, a portrait. But it was like against a triangle, almost like the Penguins logo. And it was like, look for Sidney Crosby card. So that's who they were really pushing that season. But, you know, you had both of those guys in those sets. And there were a lot of sets. I mean, you had Upper Deck, Series 1, Series 2. You had, I don't know, you had Upper Deck Ice. You had Parkhurst. You had Victory. You had Beehive. You had, uh, was, was SPA a set? Black SP Authentic, Black SP Diamond, Authentic, Black Cup, Diamond, Ultimate, Trilogy. Cup. Oh my God. SPX. Rookie, rookie Update. There was a, yeah, there was a Rookie Update as well, which, yeah. which jammed, jammed all the extras from all of those sets together. Yeah. And that's not even to mention some of the lower end ones like MVP and Victory and just the regular upper deck set. Um, there was plenty to be had that year because we were coming off. Uh, I mean, we were coming off of a year where we didn't have hockey. So we got to make money. We got to get product out there. We got to get people interested. So let's shove as many rookies as we can into these cards and put out as many sets as we can. And also that was the first year of Upper Decks exclusive. So now instead of it just being like, well, we're going to put out some sets and some competitors are going to put out some sets. Now it's like, well, we can put out everything we want. It takes a company a while to get things right. And I mean, Upper Deck was the exclusive for hockey. So they were basically going to just put a ton of sets out there, which is what they did. Personally, I don't own any high-end Ovechkin rookie cards. I think the best card I probably have is a yellow-bordered Beehive Parallel that I bought at the National in 2019, and I think I paid like 45 bucks for it or something, which was nice. And I got a couple Parkhurst rookies, and I got a couple of Victory rookies, you know, just all low-end stuff, because it seemed that like I never could come across a young gun, or by the time I did, you know, it's always a graded 9.5 BGS grade. Or it just, I guess that's the funny thing, too, is that like prior to the pandemic, I was kind of not really well off financially. So I was definitely a collector on a budget and spending a couple hundred dollars on like a new hockey card, like something relatively recent, wasn't something I could do. Since then, I've got my finances in order and I can afford to buy nicer cards. Like I tweeted out that I bought some Parkhurst cards at the uh, expo. These are like $1,500 cards, whatever. I could spend more on my hobby now. Ovechkin, those top-end cards are just, I'm not even going to think about it. I don't well, really want to spend two grand on a <laughs> on one card. Well, let's talk about some of those in a second, but I want to hammer on your point there. At least from the feedback that I get and from what I see, a lot of the feedback that you get 
a lot of our listeners that listen to our show are in the same boat and they're budget type collectors or they are player collectors or they have a focused collection where they only really go after certain things. So maybe a lot of these high-end cards are out of reach for a lot of the people that are listening as well, and they can relate to that. So one of the things that I wanted to look at was, with all of these rookie cards out there and available, what are some of the top extremely, and I say relatively extremely, affordable rookie cards of his? And so if you look at this list, we're not talking about rookie year cards, which I would consider the ones made in 05, 06, but are like highlight cards or checklists or inserts. We're talking the regular, whatever the main base rookie is of the mass-produced set. So not weird or oddball or broder cards. We're not talking pre-rookies like the in-the-game heroes and prospects from the year before or even the SPA card from the year before. We're not talking those. These are just straight-up 0506 base rookie cards. So I made a list. I was going to do this as a top five, but then I had to add a sixth one. And the sixth one would be the cusp of the breaking into the mid to higher range, right? So number six, the Fleer Ultra rookie, card number 252 in the set. Ungraded, you can find these about 150 to 180 bucks. Now, a year ago, these cards were under $100, and you could probably get them closer to around 70 But now, with a lot more focus on them, most of these go for between 150 180 And that was the one I added, because that kind of shows you that, are there rookies under $200 of Ovechkin? Yes. Again, I'm not talking graded cards. These are, as the kids say, they're raw. They are unslabbed. But that's where I would start that and work your way down with the 200 or less. Then you've got... The 0506 Beehive, as you brought up. There's a red, there's a blue, there's a yellow. All three of those versions, you can find them between 80 to 120 bucks, depending on the color. Again, totally ungraded. 0506 Parkhurst. Now, I did bring up the fact that there are highlight cards. Parkhurst did a whole highlight set, highlights subset, and there's a bunch of Ovechkin cards in there. One of them's really cool because if you're into that whole like we were talking about earlier, into that capturing moment type cards. One of the highlight cards is that iconic goal that he scored where he got like tripped up and started to fall to the ground and flipped over and still scored with a stick behind his head as he was falling to the ice. It's a picture of that. That's a cool card to get. You can find it less than 10 bucks. So that's not really the rookie card. I'm talking more of the actual rookie card, 60 to 100 bucks. It's kind of all over in that window area, but that's where it is right now. A year ago, that card was about 20 bucks. But now that we're getting, you know, he's getting more focus, those prices have gone up. Number three, power play. Some people don't remember power play, but power play was a low-end set. I want to say 0506 was in packs because one of those years, it's either 06 or 07. It was a box set. Box set was 0809. 0809, okay. But 0607 was still in packs because I remember buying okay. a box of that and actually putting that set together. Yeah, and I wasn't sure which year it went to a box set, but one of those years it did. So this year it was in packs. The Power Play rookie card, 50 to 80 bucks. 
falls in that range pretty much all the time. Number two, MVP. So the MVP card, you could find this all day for 10, 15 bucks a year ago. 40 to 60 now. Slightly less if you're going to go to like eBay or something like that. You might be able to scrounge it out for a little less than that, but expect like 40 to 60 most of the time on that. And the number one most affordable one would be the victory. And the upper deck victory card is about 30 to 50 bucks. So, you know, again, you can kind of see how things have shifted. You know, a year or two ago, you could probably knock 50 bucks off of every one of these and bump them down that range. But, you know, as he's got closer to the record and there's more eyeballs on him and more people looking at long term, here's a guy that I should probably pick up a bunch of rookie cards for. The prices have gone up. But again, you can see there's six right off the bat that are all under 200 bucks. Most of them are around the $100 range or less that you can jump into the rookie card game sort of on a budget. If I could draw a parallel here, because I like to draw parallels. So, you know, when you think of like greatest hockey player of all time, usually people say Gretzky. Basketball, people say Michael Jordan. And then you think of like iconic sports cards in each sport, right? The Gretzky rookie, the Jordan rookie, and you could draw all the parallels you want. The greatest NHL player of all time, the greatest NBA player of all time, condition sensitive because of blue borders, condition sensitive because of red borders, whatever, right? But then there's always that argument against Jordan. It was like, is LeBron James a better player? Jordan or LeBron, right? Now, I also look at this as far as cards go, right? Because you think Gretzky was a 79 card, Jordan was an 86 card. All right, that's like a seven-year gap, whatever. LeBron James rookie cards, 0304. Ovechkin's rookie cards, 0506. So the thing is, is that I remember when what I thought was probably one of the most low-end LeBron cards. That's the rookie card where he's standing at the tops card and he's holding up the jersey. The draft jersey, yeah. The draft jersey, right? And, you know, I remember when that was like a $20 card. I remember when it was like a $40 card. I looked today online, it's like a $200 card. And I still consider that like a pretty low-end card. But you think about it, when people started really getting hype on LeBron and his cards, they were going after, oh, the Logo Man patch and the autograph this and the SPA that, right? I don't know basketball cards that well, but... Exquisite was the big one. Exquisite, right? But then you look and then you see what's happening is like people say, well, you know what? I can't afford an exquisite rookie card, especially since they're all getting graded and they're all like in five, six figures, but you know what? I just want to have a LeBron rookie card. So I'll buy that tops one. That's fine. Or the one from the factory set, it's LeBron, but he's playing. He's not just holding up the jersey. He's actually playing in a game. So I kind of see Ovechkin the same way, whereas we might argue, well, yeah, Ovechkin is going to retire with more goals than Gretzky, but that doesn't necessarily make him the greatest hockey player ever, right? And some argue that it's not Gretzky anyways. But you look at that with the cards. Well, Ovechkin's a current player like LeBron, and the people collecting now can see him do what he does and see him 
continue to get greater and greater and surpass those records. So we're going to see like this kind of LeBron James effect on Ovechkin cards where like the low end stuff is going to become desirable. And, you know, we'll talk now about how this is a 20 or $30 card, but yeah, in two years or three years or five years, or like when he just retires, gets inducted into the hall of fame, those low end cards, they'll still be considered low end, but you know, they'll be in triple digits for sure. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the big reasons is you can have current eyeballs on this guy. You can watch him break the record. You can watch his greatness on the ice now and see how that is and turn around and be like, you know what, I'm going to go get one of his cards. or I'm going to go get this or I'm going to go get that. Versus guys that have been retired for years and years and years have rookie cards and arrows that have long been made and long been printed and are out there and have already established that market. So... I mean, how many times do you look at Gretzky rookies and you're just like, nope, <laughs> you know, right. like, I mean, A, they're either raw and beat the heck or they're raw in good condition, which causes you to think they're counterfeit mm-hmm. or they're graded. And even at low grades, I mean, a low grade Gretzky at like, I, I saw a three, I think it was a OPG three, PSA three. Sold for like $4,000. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so I'm like, I get it. I do get it. But I don't think the young kids, young kids, not that the young kids are buying this, but I don't think many of the younger, newer collectors that let's say either stopped collecting many, many years ago and started again in the last three or five years or the new ones that just came in in the last three to five years I don't think many of them are the ones that are running out and buying the Gretzky rookies as much as they'd be more inclined to buy the player that they can turn on the TV and watch right now. That's part of how that market flows. And you'll see that again. There'll be somebody else later on down the road, and it'll the same thing will happen. Maybe not exactly the same, but you'll see that ebb and flow. The Ovechkin cards might come back down at some point. But I think once he does get closer to breaking the record or does break the record, yeah, we're saying 30 to 50 or, you know, 40 to 60 or 60 to 80 or 100 bucks, that could easily double. Easily. And again, these are the, what I would consider the relatively affordable rookie cards. Because for the most part, you can get all of these less than 200 bucks and have a, have a decent batch of rookie cards. On the other hand, we got all the big boys and the big dogs that are a little unaffordable for most most of us. You know, namely the cup, right? You know, the cup RPAs that are numbered out of 99. 05, 06, well, that was the first year for the cup. Can you call this set underrated at all? Because the cup is probably the most sought after of all the rookie cards, especially for the high rollers that are out there. This is the card that they want. But I feel like this set, other than the Ovechkin card and maybe the Crosby, people don't talk about this set very much. And there's so many good rookie cards that come from that set that have the rookie patch autos that I don't think get a lot of a whole lot of talk. But this would by far be the best one. There was an auction that closed for a 9 BGS, $49,000 on this card. And it was a... Patch piece from, I believe, a shoulder patch. So it has 
like the blue outline with kind of the gold in the middle and it's on a white background so it's it's obviously from the white capitals jerseys from that time frame so now you're talking forty nine thousand. we were just saying hey here's some cards you can get for under 200 bucks you're not touching this one you're not even paying the uh auction premium for 200 bucks on a card like that but that's the cup again that's going to be the one that everybody charges after probably second to that is going to be the sp authentic 0506 sp authentic which is not rare comparatively because it's numbered out of 999 so there's almost a thousand of these one sold for 30 grand psa 10 30 grand now i don't know about you but i don't have 30 grand lying around to buy an ovechkin rookie that's just me you know you can get into some of the other ones that are out there like uh, upper deck ice so the ice premieres PSA 9 sold for $9,100 on a PSA 9, and that's the upper deck ice, so it's kind of like the acetate one that almost looks like the Hurricane logo, but it's kind of turned on the side. Those are numbered. They're numbered out of 99, so a little less quantity on those. Ultimate Collection, one went for fifteen grand. Those are numbered out of 299 That was a BGS 9.5. But the SPX ones go for about five grand most of the time. I've seen the trilogy ones sell for in the thousands. Black Diamond, which the Black Diamond ones are tough because they're very condition sensitive. You'll end up paying five to seven hundred bucks for a raw one. Um, that's about the the spot for that. But four or five thousand bucks easily on a high graded Black Diamond because those are the quad diamond ones where the rookies came from. And if you remember the Black Diamond printing, then was that. I don't know what they called it, the hollow foil or whatever it was that technology of printing was called, but it chips a lot at the edges. And so getting these in you know, good shape is, it's tough on that. Most of the other ones fall into those three, $4,000 range in a high grade. Now, the one that I think is really crazy that a lot of people don't go after, and I think part of that is there aren't a lot of them out there. You know, we brought up, the fact that there was an SPA card made in 0405. There weren't a lot of sets in 0405 because of the lockout, but Upper Deck did make SP authentic. And as part of that, there were rookie redemption cards that were included in there. Ovechkin's on the list of rookie redemptions. I don't think all of them are redeemed, and legend has it that they weren't. But these are numbered out of 399. And again, we don't know what the total quantity of redeemed ones you know, because obviously you got to pull the redemption and send in for the redemption. So if there's packs still sitting out there in the world that still have that redemption card in them, you know, there's obviously ones missing from that 399. Don't know if it could be 300, 200, 350, 398. I don't know what that number is, but it's no more than 399. These don't get the love. A PSA 10 sold for two grand. And part of the reason is A, it's a redemption. B, it's probably hard to find. C, it doesn't have an auto on it. So it's not like the SPA the following year where it has the future watch and it's the autograph card. So it is a little different, but again, it's a Ovechkin card, an official card from a major set, and it shows him in a Capitals jersey. So it's not like he's in you know, a Russian jersey or right. an AHL team or something like that. It was a redemption. It's got him captured in 
you know, NHL garb, if you will. I think the only photo that would have been acceptable for a card like that would have been from the draft, like him in a Caps jersey after getting drafted, because he didn't play in 04, 05. Right. So if you want to kind of do this retroactive card where like, okay, you know, we're going to put him in the 04, 05 set. Well, guess what? He didn't play any games that season. Actually, nobody played any games that season. So the only thing I would have liked for that would have been if it was like a draft photo. That would have been cool. Yeah, they didn't do a draft photo on that. What they did was a photo of him skating on the ice. And if you know anything about those cards, they were zoomed in. And I don't like the design of the card, too. So maybe that's another reason it's not very aesthetically pleasing. But it has a cutout of the player over off to the side. And then the rest of the card design is around it. So it's kind of a boxy type shape. But it's a picture of him on the ice. And if you look closely and actually zoom in on the photo, you can see that front row and even the next row behind him, there's empty seats behind the glass. So it's got to be at some kind of photo shoot or something like that, I'm guessing, because there probably weren't people in the crowd. Either that or he just happened to go past a section of empty seats, which, which I doubt. I don't mind if the seats are empty. I don't mind if it's a photo shoot card. I think just what bothers me is that he didn't play. The fact that he did play in a game. That year. So. Another reason why that card might not be as popular is because it's the dreaded XRC designation, the extended rookie card. You Which know, the in the game one gets that label too. Because in the game hero and prospects has one with him on it. And that usually gets those types of labels too. But he's also not in an NHL jersey on that one either. So that's kind of the right. difference there. This was an actual NHL set. And it just so happens it was a redemption card. And then, oh, wait, we don't have a season to fill in the blanks here. So, yeah, I just I feel like that card's underrated. Even at two grand, graded a 10, I feel like that's still under the radar type card. Not technically a rookie, I guess, but it'd be cool, especially the story behind it, the fact that there probably aren't 399. You know, one thing that Upper Deck would do is they sometimes used unredeemed cards like that to fulfill other cards that they couldn't fulfill. Because sure. I remember one time they owed me a Patrice Bergeron. I can't remember if it was an autographed card or if it was a jersey card. I think it was a jersey card. Maybe it was a jersey auto. I can't quite remember what it was. It, it had to be an autographed card because they couldn't fulfill it. And after like a year and a half, or a year or whatever it was. I wrote I wrote about this. I'll, I'll be sure to link to it. They sent me a, a replacement. They just said, we're sending you a different card. We hope you're happy with it. And it was a Tuka Rask SP authentic future watch auto. And I was just like, yeah, okay. This is a really good replacement. Because by the point that they sent me that card, it was already a couple years old. So it was like a $100 card at that time. So right. I'm just like, yeah, okay, this is a legit replacement. I'm not like, oh, I didn't get my Patrice Bergeron card. I'm like, oh, cool, I got a Tuka Rask autographed rookie card instead. Okay, this is an acceptable replacement. So they'll do that. If they can't fulfill a certain card, they'll send you a different card. It was the same with Panini when they couldn't fulfill. I was supposed to get an Akeem Alou autographed rookie card. I think it was from Panini Limited, and they could not get that to me. So then after me pestering them on social media, this was after it was like over a couple years old, like, okay, guys, I'd really like my card. You know, they're like, all right, we'll send you something. And they sent me a sign. Have some Panini points. Yeah, right. No, 
they sent me a signed Brandon Sod rookie card, which again yeah, was okay. That's an upgrade. Kind of, that except that. Yes, except that the thing was is that the limited rookie was supposed to be like really limited in the serial number, and this was from like Panini Contenders, so it had a much higher print run. That's fine. I'm not going to use this episode to bash on Panini. We could do that every other episode. They're not, even, they're not even relevant in the hockey world anymore. So, Oh, come on. Don't they have their direct-to-consumer cards of Vitaly Kraftsoff? That was that one year. That was it. I don't think they've had a exclusive player license since then. Why would they, really? Right. Yeah, like I said, I was just saying, you know, this is one of those things. And you're right, they might have used these as fillers for missing cards or missing redemptions and stuff like that. They even used them for their own buyback product. I don't know. I didn't go through the history of all their buyback things to see if this was one of the ones included in there. But, you know, there's a lot of guys out there looking to capitalize on this one at, no pun intended, capitalize. Three uh-huh. to four, three to four grand. But if you look at all the completed auction sales on these, 1300 bucks is like the sweet spot. Yeah, 2200 is what I saw it sell high-end, but there's been quite a few. Recently, they were $1,300, so I think it's an underrated card. But, of course, if you want to go after any of those big dogs that we already mentioned, the Ultra Rookie Uniformity, the SPX, you know, even the, the Spectrum one, if you can find it, that's a pretty sweet-looking card. But it's very, very low print run. You know, the regular card you can get for two two fifty, but anything graded, they're in the thousands. You know, the Black Diamond, the Trilogy, they're, they're all really decent-looking cards. There's many out there that you can choose from, but that brings me back to the original, and that's the Young Gun. That is the card. That is the card that everybody wants. That is the card that every collector chases after, and they do to this day with every upper deck set because it's considered – I'm not going to use the word Holy Grail because it's not really the Holy Grail, but it is that key – rookie that almost any hockey player has and if you want to have a complete collection you got to have the young gun if they have a young gun because there are a few guys that don't but Vetchkin is not one of them he does have a young gun it's in the flagship set it came from series two they're easy to find okay they're very easy to find why is that because young guns are printed a lot and yeah, this is an older card. It's from 0506. But if you remember in 0506, if I'm not mistaken, Young Guns were one out of four packs. So it's not signed. It's not numbered. It's just the regular plain old Young Gun. Yeah, there's high gloss versions out there. And I think there's printing plates of that one now. But just the basic Young Gun, there are a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton. So it's not hard to find. It is hard to afford. Because you usually find this card graded. And I will tell you this. It grades high. A lot. A lot. Whether you make that two words or whether you pejoratively make it one word. A lot should all be in capital letters. I'm not sure the reason of that. If you look at Gemrate, and I've brought them up before, They do the statistics on the grading companies. Just Young Guns only, PSA, has graded 2,468 Young Guns. 1,081 of those graded out of 10. Wow. 
So that's a gem rate of almost 44%. 44%. So almost half. You're pushing in the half range of the cards that are sent in to be graded. Gem out. That's crazy. So here, throw out a comparison. What ends up happening is these sell for a ton. Because if you go and look at, you know, I generally use like Terapeak. I don't know if you're familiar with Terapeak, but it does no. eBay research and pulls stales through eBay. You know, Ovechkin items accounted for like almost 5,000 sales from September, the middle of September till the middle of December. So if you look at that 90-day window, that's over half a million dollars worth of auction sales on Ovechkin stuff, which is a ton. So using this completely unscientific data and analyzing it, you look at PSA 10, SGC 10, or BGS 10. Those young guns regularly sell for four grand and up, regularly, almost always. Nine and a half seem to be in the 2,800, 3,300 range. Nine seem to drop down to about two grand to 2,600. PSAs are obviously on the top side for whatever reason. People seem to think they're worth more. And then other graders would fall in you know, below that. But if you take that for what it's worth and you look at some of these sales, knowing that 50% of all the young guns grade in at a 10, why wouldn't you send your card in? You got a 50-50 shot of turning a three, four, $500 card into a potentially $4,000 card. Just the same, obviously, you got to pay more, right? Isn't that how they do it? If your card's worth more, they charge you more? Yes. If it grades higher, then they're going to charge you more because they charge you based on what the recent resale value of the card. I I guess they must take an average or something. Well, if I look at the top 10 high-end Ovechkin cards that have sold over the last 90 days, of that top 10, one, two, three, four of them were young guns. And... PSA 10, SGC 10, PSA 10, BGS 9. 5,700, 5,500, 5,300, and 5,000. Those are the completed sales. So at least $5,000 over the last 90 days for a 10 grade in one of those cards. Now, BGS, 3,362. So they've graded even more of these. They gem out at 1952. Now their gem rate is nine and a half or 10, but that's a gem rate of 58%. So again, here's the two biggest grading companies. Every card that they've graded, essentially that would net out to about 50% of the cards graded a gem. You know, SGC, 140 times they've graded it, 41 of them have graded a 10. That's 29%. So they're a little less. But everybody has already said that those guys grade harder. You know, CSG, if you care about those guys, they've only graded two of them that Gemrate has record of. And guess what? Of the two, one graded a 10. So there you go. 50%. also. So we're hitting this 50%. So half of all of these are grading super high, which is crazy to me. Yeah, it's modern era card, but it is from 05. And there were a lot of them. And Ovechkin wasn't the big chase in that set until a couple years later. And there's a lot of these factors that go into my head that I'm thinking, how is it that there's this many of these graded? And it kind of blows my mind, too, because those that are familiar with this set know that 
it's very sensitive to being miscut. And what I mean by that is the regular base cards, you don't notice it that much because the base set design is very uniform. But if you look at all the rookie cards, they actually say rookies across the bottom. And they say rookies and it's offset to the right-hand side of the very bottom of the stripe that goes across the bottom of the card. And the S, the very last S on rookies, sometimes is cut in half, sometimes is fully intact, sometimes is only three quarters of the way there. I've never seen it only a quarter of the way, but I think anywhere between half cut off and all the way present to even present with a little bit of space at the edge, you'll find those cards. And I never could understand that because for it to be that far off a of center would lead me to believe that there's a ton more border left to that card that's not being pressed out when it's cut. Because how else could it get that far off and still not have the other, whatever the next card in the sheet was? You know what I mean? Well, as far as I can think back, 91-92 Stadium Club Hockey, they basically, what they would do is they'd overprint it. You know, cards are two and a half by three and a half. They'd probably print them closer to 2.75 by 3.75, or maybe even closer to three by four, and then cut them down. Back in the 70s, they'd print them on the sheets, and they'd cut them, and sometimes you'd get a little bit of the next card that was above or below. I mean, you could really see that in like 73, 74 tops hockey that had like the red borders, the blue borders, the yellow borders, and the green borders. And you could have a green bordered card with just a little stripe of red on one side because the cut would be a little bit off. It wasn't as noticeable with cards that used white borders because you might get a little bit more of a white border at the top or the bottom that took from the next card. But I know like with stadium- the next card was white, so it'd be the same. Right. But like with stadium club hockey, I have a proof what they would do is they'd print them a little bigger and they'd cut them. And that's how you, whenever you have full bleed, you need to overprint. Even like my puck junk business cards that have me playing hockey and it looks like a card, I have to get those printed bigger and then they cut them down to the two and a half by three and a half size. So that's what they would do with the young guns. They still print them on sheets, but they probably cut them one time just to cut them apart from each other and then cut them a second time to cut them down to specific size or something. I honestly don't know how they cut them down, but I do know that there is definitely some wiggle room there. When you you have full bleed, you need to have some wiggle room. Right. And that would be the only way that that makes any sense because, you know, the set has the little young gun stripe down the one side, Mm -hmm. and then it's got the bracket at the bottom where it has the player name and all that. Mm -hmm. But with the way that rookie is, you know, because I've seen them where, rookies is all printed like the whole letter it's not cut off and there's even a little bit of extra and yet it's not showing part of the next card that makes sense then if it's bigger and then they cut it down that means there was extra border space that they could leave to allow for that shifting or miscutness whether it's a millimeter or three millimeters you know whatever that difference is but you'll find that a lot especially in ones that are graded i've seen tens you, you line up like four tens next to each other and not a single one of them will be centered the same and they're all given a 10. So I don't know what the criteria is or if the graders are going into that looking at, well, this is sensitive to that. We know it's an issue, so we're not even going to pay attention to that. We're just going to look mostly at, you know, the surface area, the borders and that kind of thing. And as long as it's not extremely off, 
we'll just ignore that. I don't know what goes into that. Obviously, I'm not a grader, nor will I ever be. Nor will I send mine in to be graded. But I could. I mean, at these kind of prices, it seems foolish not to. But, I mean, I'm not really in it for the money part of it. So it was more or less of, hey, I need this to get it covered. But I just found that interesting that the statistics through Gemrate and you know verifying those by actually going to the sites and looking at some of them to see that it's almost a 50% you know crossover between ones that are graded and ones that actually grade high. Just as a comparison, like the Opeachy Premier Riaga rookie from 1991, mm-hmm. there's over 3,300 PSA 10s of those. You know what they sell for? About 175 bucks, graded PSA 10. I mean, so there's the other guy that's at the top of those, you know, scoring lists that still hasn't retired that'll be in the Hall of Fame pretty much guaranteed. Kind of the same type of player that could just rocket shots and blast goals, but also has all that finesse to skate through an entire defense and score. Not that I'm comparing 0506 upper deck to the print run of OPG Premier from 1990, but that kind of gives you the idea of how that goes. I mean, it's interesting. So the lesson here is whether you're a budget collector or whether you are going to spend the big bucks in air quotes, invest in Ovechkin long-term with something bigger, there are some things that would fall in those price ranges that you could knock it out. You know, you have your Ovechkin binder, right? And you said when you pull inserts and stuff, you put Ovechkin's in. If you can think of one, what's the best Ovechkin card you ever pulled from a pack? Oh, okay. I can tell you that without even thinking. And it's not in a binder because it's too thick for a pocket. It was from um, 1011 Artifacts. It was the Crosby Ovechkin dual patch card numbered out of 40 copies. Wow. Mine is numbered four out of 40 or something. I, I forget. Wait, what what year was that? 1011 Artifacts. Oh, 1011. Yeah. So, That's a nice one. Multicolored in the swatches? Yes. I'm trying to remember what it looks like. I definitely have a picture of it posted, and I remember getting that. And then I was kind of like, you know, if I never pull a great card again, I'm okay, because this is a really good card to pull, and I could be happy with that. But you know what? No, I'm full of it, because I'll never be happy. I'll always be like, oh, I wish I got an autographed card from this box, or why did I get Kevin Fiala and not Tage Thompson, right, (laughs) or whatever. Like, that's just kind of, I guess, how we are as collectors. But really, I mean, that was probably the best card I pulled from a pack. Granted, it was from Artifacts, and so it wasn't from, like, an Opeachy pack. Although, even from Opeachy, the best card I pulled was a Marcel Dion autograph. And I'm just like, well, (laughs) that's pretty freaking cool, because the guy's in the Hall of Fame. But that's definitely the best Ovechkin card that I pulled. I mean, I do have his Parkhurst rookie, and like I said, his Victory rookie, and a Beehive rookie. I don't have an autograph of his, which is something I'd like to have, because... I don't have his autograph. I got a Crosby autograph. I got a Gretzky autograph. I don't have Ovechkin. I don't have Lemieux. So those are things that I'll have to rectify. Bucket list items. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? Just like Ovechkin's going to be playing for quite a while more, I'm going to be collecting for quite a while more. And as we said, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Absolutely. I think you know what probably one of the best ones I ever pulled. Because you were there when I pulled it. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't you just tell us? Just the quick story of that. Best Ovechkin card I ever pulled from a pack. 
and I would consider this the hat trick of pulling best cards of Ovechkin, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. So it was back in like 09, 2010, maybe 11. Uh, I was at the one of the big Chicago shows in Rosemont. There was a dealer with a table. It was just right. a mess. I'm going to stop you right there, like Eddie Olchek, stop it right there. Because I'm going to tell you it was a national. Was it one of those? It, it was a national. It would have been 9 or 11 then. I think it was 11. Okay. Because 8 was in Chicago. 9 and 10 were not in Chicago. 11 was in Chicago. I had pretty deep pockets then, so I was spending like a mofo. And I know the dealer that you bought that from, because I'd been at the National, I went all five days, and I went to that dealer's table every day. And I was buying stuff at that table, but I did not see the thing that you found. Yeah. So his table, for lack of a better word, it was a mess. Like, it was a mess of a display. It was just a hodgepodge of stuff all over the place. And I happened to notice that he had a box of 0506 Upper Deck Series 2 sitting there. No price. I was like, huh, should I even dare ask? So I did. And I asked him, I'm like, what do you got on that box right there? And he says, and I quote, I don't know. How about 50 bucks? <laughs> So other than getting my cash out of my pocket in about 1.4 seconds flat, I was well on my way walking away from his table with that box before he could change his mind. Um, because even in that year, whether it was 10, 11, or whenever it was, 50 bucks for that box, that was still a heck of a good price. So that box yielded because I brought it over to the table and we were sitting there and decided to open it right there and we were all sitting at the table, and that box yielded not only the upper deck young gun of Ovechkin, which is fairly well-centered, the one I got, by the way, but it also had the upper deck rookie materials jersey card, just the regular jersey, and the upper deck victory rookie card, which were all in the victory high number inserts that were part of that as well as the Crosby and almost every other big name from Victory that year were also in there too. But all three of those Ovechkin rookies came out of that one box for 50 bucks back then. So that's probably my best, you know, knocking out something that's really, really high end. I mean, beyond that anomaly of epic proportions, I called it, I've pulled a few black rainbows from Opeachy, the ones that are numbered out of 100 various years. Anything that's not a rookie, I would say the 2012-13 Panini Prism Ovechkin that I got pulled out of a pack. Now you're probably saying, but DFG, wait a minute. Prism didn't come out until 13-14. You're right. But in Rookie Anthology the year before, they put preview cards in for what Prism was supposed to look like the next year. Uh, they didn't look like that. They looked totally different than that when they did come out. But mine is the base one kind of sells in the 150 200 bucks range a lot of times the colored parallels now that's a different story those go for a lot because they also threw in colored parallel versions of those like the red and the blue and all of those those go for a bunch but and i didn't know what i had i figured it was just a base card for a long period of time and then i realized this doesn't look like anything else and then kind of did some digging to figure out oh yeah this came out of rookie anthology so that was kind of a pretty cool one, but not as good as the hat trick. No, that's a great story. 50 bucks to get 
Series 2 upper deck box, even in the year it came out, is a good price for a hobby box. So to get it five years, six years later, and it has all those cards in it, I mean, that's such a fun collecting story. Am I jealous? Insanely, because I still remember what year it was. And I remember like, oh, where'd you find that? Oh, wait, really? I didn't see that. I've been at that guy's table every day because he just have like stacks and stacks of random wax boxes from different yeah, it was, years, different it was a sports, hodgepodge. non-sports. Yep. I mean, it was just obviously what he was doing was he'd make space on his table and then he'd put out more stuff. I just happened to walk by right at the right time. But that's good, though, because, I mean, you need to have a win like that. When you go to shows, you're going to find something cool. I mean, like for me, not that this is anywhere near as great as that, but something that I found that I'm really happy just at a show was it was an uncut sheet of 86-87 Moncton Flames issued by Red Rooster Grocery Stores, and it was an uncut sheet of the full set. Do you know who the big card is on that one? Uh, would that be Flurry on that one? Brett Hall. Brett Hall? Yeah, Brett Hall. So not only was it a Brett Hall pre-rookie card, but it was an uncut sheet. And this one dealer just had stacks of stuff like that for like a dollar each or $2 each. I can't remember if it was a dollar or $2, but I couldn't get my $2 out of my wallet fast enough. Like, oh, wow, an uncut sheet of cards that have Brett Hall on it. There you go, right? You know, so... Yeah, I mean, if you go to shows and you look, you're going to find cool stuff. Everybody's going to find something different. Not everybody's going to find an unopened box of cards that's arguably underpriced, but you're going to find something. You just got to look, and that's why shows are so much fun, because you'll find something. Don't know what it is until you find it, but if you're open to anything, then you'll find something. My favorite part of that story is the fact that if I would tell that story to anybody else ever... They'd be like, yeah, you're full of it. But I had witnesses. So yeah, that's the I was best, there. That's the best part about this one. There were people there that saw this happen in person and were all just dumbfounded. But it happened. And not that it was a hot box. It just happened. That's how it ended up being. You know, that would be considered a super hot box today. But when it was packed out back then, no. It had no. the right number of young guns. It had the right number of hits. With the jersey cards that were in there, and it had the right number of the high number update victory cards. So there was nothing special about it other than the fact that they all ended up being OV cards. Okay, so anything before we wrap it up? Because this show is uh, almost as long as OV's career. Wasn't that the goal? To make this a 17-year show? The 17-year podcast. Yeah, or at least 17 hours. I just think we covered a lot of ground here. You know, his career and everything, and, and a lot of his cards, so... You know, those that are still collecting and, and, you know, whether you collect Ovechkin himself or whether you're looking to pack a few of these away so you have some specimens from the greatest goal scorer or soon-to-be greatest goal scorer, it's all over the place. There's anything available that you want. Here's an idea. If you've listened this long and you've made it to the end of the show, like right now, and you follow us on social media, share some of your favorite Ovechkin cards with us. We'd like to see it. Doesn't necessarily have to be a PSA 10 young gun or SP authentic rookie could just be a card that you like, or it could be a card that you're proud to have, or that you really enjoy having in your collection. We'd like to see it. I want to see somebody with the 0102 Russian Moscow dynamo Alex Ovechkin card when he was like uh, 16. 
I have an 0304 or an 0203 Russian card. I'll have to find it. I mean, I found it last summer for a couple of bucks, but it's him as a kid. He still has the full cage, and it's a Russian card. Yeah, this is too. They released a set like every year, like a team set. Mm -hmm. That was when he was 16. I've only seen that card in the wild once. You didn't buy it? Nope. I won 10 grand for it. Oh, yeah. No, that's a pass. Yeah. Well, okay then. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to leave us a review on Apple iTunes and Google Play or wherever you find this podcast. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.